How did I beat you? So when we look at economics, the study of the household, of how uh, scarce needs and wants are met, how the resources are distributed, we come back to uh, this fundamental concept in economics called the factors of production. And we're frequently taught that these factors of production are land, labour and capital. Well, in this day and age, it's actually we only hear about labour and capital. Land is hidden as if it's a subset of uh, capital, which uh, has had dire implications for the way policy is designed. There's usually a policy priority around uh, unemployment. We must keep labour busy. And there's a sanctity around capital. We must keep inflation low. High inflation rates under undermine savings of the wealthy. So we cannot have that. But land is uh, largely ignored, as we see uh, in business cycle after business cycle, with these boom busts driven by rising land prices. So what about these terms... Uh, land, labour and capital. And when you think about it, capital as a factor of production refers to things like tools, machineries, factories, offices and shops that are produced by people to assist them or others in further production. We reason that whilst capital is clearly of very great importance, if it is a self a product, it is misleading to regard it as a primary factor for the purpose of economic analysis. We thus conclude that the starting point for proper economic analysis is the recognition that fundamentally all wealth is a product of non-human and human elements. Land, as an economic term, refers to the non-human elements freely provided by nature. It represents planet Earth, everything below us, everything above us. It also represents land-like assets the natural monopolies that have become so valuable in this era of privatisation. Now, labour, this refers to all the human forces brought to bear in production. Thus, there are only two primary factors of production, land and labour. This brings to mind the classic statement, applied labour onto land produces capital. So why is the most important facet to life on Earth ignored by our economic system. Don't be frustrated. Why shouldn't I be? What's wrong? Nothing. For that, you'll have to uh, read the book The Corruption of Economics by Mason Gaffney and Fred Harrison. I've covered the topic a number of times on this show, but what this hidden nature of land and the naturally rising value of the earth that is so lucrative, whether you're in mining, whether you're in property, whether you're uh, a patent uh, uh, thicket speculator, looking to protect your business interests, the rising value of these assets with no productive output is uh, the bane of modern society. And to this, uh, Henry George wrote in his classic book, Social Problems, chapter nine, uh, First Principles it was called, he writes this, 
and that this just distribution of wealth is the natural distribution of wealth can be plainly seen. Nature gives wealth to labour and to nothing but labour. There is and there can be no article of wealth but such as labour has got by making it or searching for it out of the raw material which the Creator has given us to draw from. If there were but one man in the world, it is manifest that he could have no more wealth than he was able to make and to save. This is the natural order. No matter how great be the population or how elaborate the society, no one can have more wealth than he produces and saves unless he gets it as a free gift from someone else or by appropriating the earnings of someone else. So there, George, is shining a light on this ability of labor to be applied to land to produce and save as much as he needs. And it's only where this appropriation of other people's hard work occurs that the need for a just distribution of wealth becomes more and more important. So in terms of first principles, we, we must now look at this piece from Henry George. That justice is the highest quality in the moral hierarchy, I do not say, but that it is the first. That which is above justice must be based on justice and include justice and be reached through justice. It is not by accident that in the Hebraic religious development which through Christianity we have inherited the declaration, the Lord thy God is a just God, precedes the sweeter revelation of a God of love. Until the eternal justice is perceived, the eternal love must be hidden. As the individual must be just before he can be truly generous, so must human society be based upon justice before it can be based on benevolence. So now we switch to Liberty and Justice, a four-page pamphlet written by Henry George. So just imagine the fire and brimstone as I read this one out. I'll try not to be too dramatic, but it starts off, The Central Truth. The poverty, which in the midst of abundance pinches and embrutes men, and all the manifold evils which flow from it, spring from a denial of justice. In permitting the monopolization of the natural opportunities which nature freely offers to all, we have ignored the fundamental law of justice. For, so far as we can see, when we view things upon a large scale, justice seems to be the supreme law of the universe. But by sweeping away this injustice and asserting the rights of all men to natural opportunities, we shall conform ourselves to the law. We shall remove the great cause of unnatural inequality in the distribution of wealth and power. We shall abolish poverty. The reform I have proposed has the qualities of a true reform, for it will make all other reforms easier. What is it but the carrying out in letter and spirit of the truth enunciated in the Declaration of Independence, the self-evident truth that is the heart and soul of the Declaration? that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. These rights are denied when the equal right to land on which and by which men alone can live is denied. 
Equality of political rights will not compensate for the denial of the equal right to the bounty of nature. Political liberty, when the equal right to land is denied, becomes, as population increases and invention goes on, merely the liberty to compete for employment at starvation wages. This is the truth that we have ignored. And so there come beggars in our streets and tramps on our roads. Poverty enslaves men whom we boast are political sovereigns. And want breeds ignorance that our schools cannot enlighten. Inequality destroys liberty. We honour liberty in name and in form. We set up her statutes and sound her praises. But we have not fully trusted her. And with our growth, so grow her demands. She will have no half service. Liberty! It is a word to conjure with, not to vex the ear and empty boastings. For liberty means justice, and justice is the natural law, the law of health and symmetry and strength, of fraternity and cooperation. In our time, as in times before, creep on the insidious forces that, producing inequality, destroy liberty. On the horizon, the clouds begin to lower. Liberty calls to us again. We must follow her further. We must trust her fully. Either we must wholly accept her or she will not stay. It is not enough that men should vote. It is not enough that they should be theoretically equal before the law. They must have liberty to avail themselves of the opportunities and means of life. They must stand on equal terms with the reference to the bounty of nature. Either this or liberty withdraws her light. Either this or darkness comes on, and the very forces that progress has evolved turn to powers that work destruction. This is the universal law. This is the lesson of the centuries. Unless its foundations can be laid in justice, the social structure cannot stand. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel morning slaves and welcome to 3CR. This is a stimulator and whenever I want to get some radical propaganda I listen to 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. So I'll just take a break from that. Uh, yeah we're halfway through this powerful document and uh, yeah you, you're hearing the themes we've talked about so many times on this show and that line, uh, it is a not enough that men should vote. It is not enough that they should be theoretically equal before the law. They must have liberty to avail themselves of the opportunities and means of life. Yeah, what sort of freedom do we have uh, looking inside our wallets late on a Friday night, uh, second week into the pay cycle? It's not pretty, is it? We need economic freedom. We need the ability to be able to look after ourselves. But... You know, globalization, uh, a lot has been made of uh, sweatshops. A lot has been made of workers' rights uh, being pushed down. The union movement, very, very good in uh, pushing this. The left are well on board. But uh, this ability to access providence, to uh, be able to engage with nature, to engage with the land in a sustainable manner so that we can look after our families has been largely pushed beyond the control of most because of the low taxation of our natural resources. 
Now that doesn't really, that, that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But when we do tax the land, when we do tax the minerals, it pulls the profits away from those activities. So there is less incentive to buy and sell real estate. There is less incentive to dig up every corner of the earth looking for minerals. And by switching the taxes off workers and placing them on these natural monopolies, it helps to harmonise this social contract we have, uh, not with just those who are working hard and those who are lucky enough to enjoy these monopoly uh, rights, but also between generations, between, between the way we relate to nature. It's no longer a, a taking type arrangement, but there's a, a symbiotic relationship where we have good harvest seasons on the farm. Uh, the land values would be higher, so a little bit more would be contributed. But during drought-like conditions, such as uh, pre present here in early 2019, the land value taxes would be lower, synergizing with uh, the state of nature. So that's the sort of flexibility we need to deal with uh, uh, the challenges of the future, a climate-ravaged future. We need greater flexibility. We need to be able to preserve these uh, oil rents, if you like, for future generations. Absolutely incredible to see that the Norwegian Oil Trust has now reached $1 trillion worth. Amazing that future generations are going to be able to uh, benefit from that rather than just the shareholders, as is the norm in most countries. And in terms of this liberty, this freedom to access the land, well, it's not much better summary of it here in Australia than our speculative vacancies report. The ninth such report I released just a couple of weeks ago, hopefully you've seen it in the press, where we found... 60,901 vacant properties using less than 50 litres a day. There's 21,326 that use zero litres of water a day over 12 months. If we were to add that to the supply of property being auctioned that year, it would add 17%. Just the zero litres of water findings would add 17% to the amount of property up for auction. Now, what do you think that would do to land and housing prices? It will push it down. Our ability to access the land would certainly be improved. So that's the sort of thinking that we, we advocate for here on the Renegade Economist and at uh, my parent uh, group, uh, Prosper Australia. Uh, it it's, sits in a weird place because... This system represents a balance between individualism and communitarianism, holding that for the individual to secure what rightfully belongs to him, the community must secure what rightfully belongs to it. So if you look at it another way, we socialise our wages through income tax, but we privatise community development through land prices. If no one lived in Melbourne, the value of land would plummet. But as soon as we all move back, up it would go again. So these are core issues that should be part of the very tenets of our education. But unfortunately, very few people get to think about these deep-seated issues. And you, sir? 
a simple farmer who has prospered. <laughs> the town looks to me as friend and counsel. And landlord and banker. Can we proceed? Thank you. So let's go back to Liberty and Justice, Henry George, and the fruits of injustice. Our primary social adjustment is a denial of justice in allowing one man to own the land on which and from which other men must live, we have made them his bondsmen in a degree which increases as material progress goes on. This is the subtle alchemy that in ways they do not realise is extracting from the masses in every civilised country the fruits of their weary toil. That is, instituting a harder and more hopeless slavery in place of that which has been destroyed. That is, bringing political despotism out of political freedom and must soon transmute democratic institutions into anarchy. Civilization so based cannot continue. The eternal laws of the universe forbid it. Ruins of dead empires testify and the witness that is in every soul answers that it cannot be. It is something grander than benevolence, something more august than charity. It is justice herself that demands of us to right this wrong. Justice will not be denied. That cannot be put off. Justice that with the scales carries the sword. Shall we ward the stroke with liturgies and prayers? Shall we avert the decrees of immutable law by raising churches when hungry infants moan and weary mothers weep? Though it may take the language of prayer, it is blasphemy that attributes to the inscrutable decrees of providence the suffering and brutishness that come of poverty, that turns with folded hands to the All-Father and lays on him the responsibility for the wanton crime of our great cities. We degrade the everlasting. We slander the just one. A merciful man would have better ordered the world. A just man will crush with his foot such an ulcerous anthill. It is not the Almighty, but we who are responsible for the vice and misery that fester amid our civilization. The Creator showers upon us his gifts, more than enough for all. But like swine scrambling for food, we tread them in the mire, tread them in the mire, while we tear and rend each other. When I uh, read that, it comes to mind uh, this classic series of graphs I've got. One of my favourites when I do a uh, presentation that shows the world's population according to the density of various cities. I think it was according to Barcelona, the entire world's population could fit in the state of Texas. And it goes through New York, Paris and whatnot. And they're all one or two states worth of America. The entire world's population could live at the density of that city in one or two states. So uh, it points to the fact that it's the need to distribute land that uh, is driving so much of the concern about our freedoms our sovereignty, our ability to look after ourselves. Population growth certainly a big issue, but we believe that when a just distribution system is put in place, when the wealth of the earth, the naturally rising value of the land is taxed in place of taxes on the working sector, that uh, 
we will have better health and education systems. When we have this superior taxation system, we'll have enough money for decent health and education systems. And when that occurs, like we see in most Western nations, the birth rate falls below replacement levels. It's only in developing nations and sure, some Muslim nations where birth rates are going through the roof, but we're confident that even in uh, nations like uh, Iran, where the birth rate was something like seven children per women has now fallen down to two, barely at replacement levels. Okay, last section to liberty and justice, the power of landlordism. In the very centres of our civilization today are want and suffering enough to make sick at heart whoever does not close his eyes and steal his nerves. Dare we turn to the Creator and ask Him to relieve it? Supposing the prayer were heard and at the behest with which the universe sprang into being, there should glow in the sun a greater power. New virtue, fill the air, fresh vigour the soil, that for every blade of grass that now grows two should spring up. And the seed that now increases fiftyfold should increase a hundredfold. Would poverty be abate, abated or want relieved? Manifestly, no. Whatever benefit would accrue would be but temporary. The new powers streaming through the material universe could only be utilised through land. And land being private property, the classes that now monopolise the bounty of the Creator would monopolise all the new bounty. Landowners would alone be benefited. Rents would increase, but wages would still tend to the starvation point. This is not merely a deduction of political economy. It is a fact of experience. We know it because we have seen it within our own times, under our very eyes, that power which is above all and in all and through all, that power of which the whole universe is but the manifestation, that power which maketh all things and without which is not anything that is made, has increased the bounty which men may enjoy as truly as though the fertility of nature has been increased. Into the mind of one came the thought that harnessed steam for the service of mankind. To the inner ear of another was whispered the secret that compels the lightning to bear a message around the globe. In every direction have the laws of matter been revealed. In every department of industry have arisen arms of iron and fingers of steel, whose effect upon the production of wealth has been precisely the same as an increase in the fertility of nature. What has been the result? Simply that landowners get all again. The wonderful discoveries and inventions of our century have neither increased wages nor lightened toil. The effect has simply been to make the few richer the many more helpless. And that whole segment can be summed up with Phil Anderson's statement, the author of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. He says, look, land price takes all the gains. There's no better example than public infrastructure, aka property developer welfare. Wherever a new train line is built, the value of land within the first one kilometre of that train station goes through the roof. It's a public subsidy to private interests and uh, that's where this concept of land value capture can be so useful in closing the loop between public expenditure and private benefit. Let's share some of that benefit back with the people in place of taxes on our wages. 
Okay, so pressing problems. Taxation, unemployment and the housing problem are questions which call for immediate attention. They should not be left for consideration until, it may be, the workers rise in revolt against the present social system. The solution of these problems is to be found in radical land reform. The natural resources of the country must be made available for the support of the people and that can only be done by destroying the deadly grip of land monopoly which keeps thousands of acres of valuable land in town and country out of productive use. When it is impossible to withhold good agricultural building and mineral land from the people who wish to use it, the number of jobs in the country will exceed the number of workers and wages will increase. Reader, you are invited to give the question your careful and earnest consideration and, where possible, to assist. The method we advocate for opening up the natural resources of the country is the taxation of land values. Such taxation will, we claim, destroy the power of landowners to keep idle men off idle land. So goodness me, listeners, is there anything left for me to say? Sure, that was a bit fire and brimstone, but these are pretty simple concepts when you really step into it. I'll make sure I put that PDF on the show notes, which uh, you can find on the Prosper website, prosper.org.au. All right, thanks for listening. The Renegade Economist here with you now on the last Wednesday of every month.